listeners, you are listening to Biz Culture Matters on Clay 1180 AM, brought to you by ExcellentCultures.com. My name is Zach Gandra. Here with me, as always, the inimitable Steve Gandra. How are you, Steve? Well, I'm not sure if I'm inimitable, but I'm great. You know, I'm great. Doing great. great. Doing good. Great day in the greater Seattle area. We have an awesome guest on the show today that got such good um, feedback and mojo going the last time we had him on the show. We wanted to have him come back and actually go deeper into his understanding of what a high-performance culture, winning culture really is. Right. You're into winning. Yeah, we're into winning. Except you know, you're, in, you're it, wearing a Seahawks shirt yeah, right now. Yeah, got it on. Got, got it on. Got it on. The Seahawks <laughs> had a faux pas, but then there's always next year. All right. So before we hop into Bobby, we want to get him on the show ASAP because he's one of our faves. But uh, let's chat about, about our Achieving Excellent Cultures workshops. We've had over how many? Over 100 leaders uh, well, in the, no, the last year? about. 270. Okay. Leaders. Yeah. And they've been leaders. from all over the place. Every industry you can imagine from uh, middle manager to CEOs, corporate America, small business, middle-sized business, privately held, publicly held, gotten, you know, great feedback and reviews from everybody. 4.89 right. on a scale of five. Right. Uh, the main thing that folks tell us that they love the most is the focus table discussions where they can learn from other leaders who are participating about yep. the specific subject matter of what is a winning culture versus what is just a warm and fuzzy culture that uh, loses. Right. And you have another one coming up when? Is it March? Yeah, we have another one on in, in March 23rd and 24th. And then we also have a special event coming up. Make sure you uh, tune in with entrepreneur Kevin Harrington. Kevin was the original Shark Tank guy, did 150 Shark Tank shows, invented the infomercial He'll be in town the first week of March, and uh, we'll be uh, getting out information on some uh, culture of corporate innovation events that we'll be co-hosting with Kevin Harrington, right. who is the most amazing entrepreneur I have ever met. We, you know, we have a show coming up, coming up with him next week. Yep. So you want to be sure and, uh, and listen in because he is one amazing, if you care about innovation and if, if your company is um, – a valuer of corporate innovation. Yeah. You got to hear from this guy. That makes me laugh because that's kind of, <laughs> to me, is kind of like, if you value air. Yeah, if you value you feel air. Like but I don't know. Some folks say they value innovation, you know? but they just want to keep doing well, the same old thing the same way. Some people have a, you know, they've hit a niche and it's rocking that yeah. niche. And, 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 if you're like, and if you're like me and our guest Bobby today, who he's going to chuckle at this, uh, but um, a lot of us think we're really rocking innovative dudes, but when it gets right down to it, we're really stuck in our ways and don't even know don't yeah. even know that we are. Uh, touche. Don't even know that we are. So we all got to find out where we're stuck so we can yeah. get unstuck. All of these shows, uh, even uh, Mr. Harrington's Shark Tank, Mr. Harrington's can be found at excellentcultures.com. You can you can search Biz Culture Matters or Excellent Cultures on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever listening app you is your is your pleasure. But today we've got Bobby Herrera. Why don't you tell us uh, well, a little bit about little reminders about Bobby? Well, Bobby we had him on been before. on the show with us uh, uh, a few months back. Bobby is the CEO of the Populous Group, which is a uh, employment professional. We'll get him to tell you a little bit about the firm. But these guys uh, hire workforces for you know big, big, big companies: General Motors, Microsoft. Uh, you know, he's amazingly gifted at building a really super culture inside of uh, his organization, the Populous Group. A uh, proud veteran of the U.S. Army and a really good guy. And as you listeners know, Biz Culture Matters is dedicated to helping the good guys win. And this is a good guy who is winning big. And he's going to open his heart and share all kinds of great insights today so that if you're a good guy, you can help your company win like Bobby is. Yeah, we're glad to have you on the show again, Bobby. Happy to be back. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Bobby's Bobby's one of our favorite guests of all ta- all time listeners. Uh, just because the the thing that I admire most about Bobby is not only is he a leader that has built a phenomenally winning culture. We'll get him to tell you a little bit about uh, the success of his firm, the Populist Group, and what they've done in the whole you know employment professional area and their you know their big corporate clients and how they serve them. But uh, what I really admire most about Bobby is that uh, is his transparency and the fact that uh, you know he. Obviously, has built a great business and a great culture by the way that they're performing and what his people say. But you know, here's a guy that totally opens his soul, uh, allowed us to come in and gather anonymous, confidential data from his team to assess their culture. And you know, Bobby, you know, most leaders are just you know get stuck in where they are and want to believe they're great and stay there. This is a leader who 
uh, wants to go deep, listens to anybody and everybody he can, has a true spirit of humility that produces greatness and winning. And um, so, Bobby, tell it. Can you t- tell us a little? Just bring our listeners up, listeners up to speed on the populist group, what you do, and the work that you do, and who you serve, and why it's making such a difference. Yeah. Well, first, Steve, thanks for the words. I'm humble, and I appreciate that. We know our customers. They they want to get to a point to where they're making better choices with their non-permanent workforce. And that world's always changing and it's complex. And they often ask themselves, you know, there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a better way to manage this non-permanent workforce that I have. And you know, we've helped a lot of Fortune 100 and Fortune 3000 companies uh, get a better grip on how they handle that niche element of their workforce. You know, contractors, consultants, foreign nationals, and you know, first and foremost, we listen to their challenges and then we design and implement a tried and true plan. And ultimately they can focus on their core business because we help them minimize risk and make better, more cost-effective and efficient decisions with that niche area of their workforce, Steve. And it's, it's been a great journey for us because we get to learn a lot about not only what organizations do, but what makes them tick. And that's been a real rewarding journey for us. Yeah, that, that's awesome. So um, let's, let's kind of go back a little bit to that, you know, that first statement. I mean, my, my admiration of you as a leader starts with just you know your deep you know your deep transparency your willingness to to open your soul you know uh, have have others look at you even criticize you if necessary as a as a desire to want to improve and learn is that something you acquired intentionally or and I know it's a critical part of your culture because we've talked about it you know at the populist sure. group is that something that just came natural to you or did you learn it someplace <laughs> as you were growing up uh, you know uh, again I appreciate the compliment, Steve. Uh, it's amazing what you learn when you've made a long line of mistakes, right? And I think where I tend to migrate my thoughts are that you know, it's hard when you're building your own company and when you're learning on the fly. And too often, uh, I found myself in those beginning years uh, taking a step back and asking myself, there's got to be a better way. And I was fortunate that I met people that gave me what I needed and also what I wanted. And uh, I was blessed to be a great student, but uh, I, I, ultimately, I, I think it stems from the mindset I believe most leaders need to have, and that is that if our people knew a better way to do something, and that includes us, um, we would do it. And as you build more confidence in in your leadership, you learn to extend extend more trust and give people the benefit of the doubt. And if you approach it from that perspective, I think great things happen for not only you as a leader, but those people that you're trying to impact. Well, I mean, what a what a phenomenal statement. If if we knew a better way to do it, we would do it. But amazingly, uh, what what we find looking at all kinds of companies, you know, big and small, let's just say successful companies, because folks who aren't successful can't afford to hire us to help them improve their cultures. But what we what we see con- continuously and and just consistently is that. The obstacle to to more success is the success we've already had, and folks get so stuck in the, hey, we're great, we're doing it wonderful, this is the way we've always done. They would never even you know think about uh, asking that question of or even making that statement if we knew a better way we would do it. Let alone you know get, you know getting data that goes beyond just an engagement survey or just an employee opinion survey. Or you know all the normal things that good businesses do to really identify you know what is it that we're missing that we don't see that, you know that we're not seeing, and you know I think you just gave us the answer. I mean a core belief that you have is that if we knew a better way we would do it, which beats the daylights out of you know the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results even though it never happens. So That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. So, so uh, let's just say, folks, listeners, let's just take that as our first big, you know, stake in the ground. You know, if you're going to have a great culture, and by the way, let me define a great culture. Everybody talks about culture, and you can have a wonderful culture with everybody hugging each other and singing kumbaya, and it's warm and fuzzy and feels beautiful. And I saw an article in the Seattle Times the other day about, you know, all of the frills and bring your dog to work and. Uh, casual dress Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, work from home, free keggers on Friday night, all these fringes that have nothing to do with performance or culture. They just, you know, feel nice. You can have a wonderful, warm and fuzzy culture and go out of business. And, you know, Bobby's a serious business leader who has built a great culture 
that wins. You know, there's there's not a not a loser in the whole mindset. We're gonna take a break, guys. We gotta. Steve Steve just threw down a Subway footlong sandwich right in our mouth. <laughs> and uh, we're going to be right back with Bobby Subway Herrera. has great sandwiches. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we, we love Subway and they love Exxon They are culture. not a sponsor of this show. <laughs> but, hey, if you want to give us a free Subway sandwich, that'd be great. Uh, we'll be right back. You're listening to Biz Culture Matters on Clay 1180 AM and ExcellentCultures.com. days of just building a good mouse trap are over. Today you need a team of people that are not just talented and engaged, they are fast, mobile, quick to change, hate losing, and love to win. That's what a culture of corporate innovation is all about and why you need one today more than ever before. Original Shark Tank star, inventor of the infomercial, and one of the most successful entrepreneurs of all time, Kevin Harrington says it this way, you only stay in front by coming up with ideas that your competitors haven't thought of yet. To do this, you need a team of people who eat, drink, sleep, and live out a culture of corporate innovation. Excellent Culture's corporate innovation partner and former Shark Tank star Kevin Harrington has the know-how and strategies to make this a reality in your company. Tune in to Biz Culture Matters on Clay 1180 AM next Wednesday at 3 p.m. and listen to Kevin, one of the world's most successful entrepreneurs, teach you how to build your own culture of culture of corporate innovation. During his career, Kevin launched over 500 products that resulted in sales of over $4 billion worldwide and 20 products that reached sales of over $100 million. In 2009, Kevin was selected as one of the original Shark Tank Sharks on the hit ABC show. As an innovator and pioneer in the industry, Kevin has been featured in over 150 Shark Tank segments on ABC and CNBC. In 1990, he was named one of the 100 best entrepreneurs in the world by Entrepreneur Magazine. That's right, original Shark Tank star, inventor of the infomercial, and one of the most successful entrepreneurs of all time. Kevin Harrington is our guest on next week's Biz Culture Matters show. Tune in to Clay 1180 at 3 p.m. and learn from the world's best on how to run circles around your competitors with the culture of corporate innovation. We're back. Biz Culture Matters on Clay 1180 AM and com. And uh, Zach here, got Steve with me as always, and our guest Bobby Herrera. Steve, you want to you move on into the next phase of how to build what you talked about well, last Well, sure, segment? sure. I mean, before the, break, but before the break, we were talking about what a great culture is and that, you know, the problem with culture is everybody talks about it, but nobody ever looked up the, de- looked up the definition or even Googled it. So what we mean by a great culture, or, or just to say culture, a work culture, a business culture, period, is that it's, it's the beliefs, the mindsets, the attitudes, the expectations, the habits that people have inside of their minds and hearts, their values, but not the corporate values, the values of the heart that drive and manage how they act, how they behave at work. And in a winning culture, all of those components that I just mentioned, mentioned combine together to produce a culture that you know, excels, that uh, o- overcomes competition, overcomes threats, that uh, causes team to happen, causes folks to pull together and get just phenomenal, amazing business results, which Bobby and the populist group have done, or we wouldn't have him on the show. So that being the case, Bobby, uh, one of the things that, you know, I hear from leaders all the time is that our most valuable asset is our people. <laughs> And uh, I mean, that's that's about as bad as, well, we have these wonderful values, but of course, n- nobody lives them, uh, but they look beautiful. Right. You know, they're web candy and they look beautiful on the website. What I what I really admired about, you know, listening to you is that, um, you know, you you value your culture as much as you do your people. And when I tried to get you to switch to saying that, you know, people are not our most valuable asset, it's the culture that drives them, you said, uh-uh, it's both. You know, it's both our people and the culture that drives them. Uh, can you expand on that a little bit and tell us what you mean by that? I'd be happy to, Steve. So, you know, let me back up uh, a moment. Because as you were talking about culture and you know, there's no shortage of information out there, and you know this better than all of us, but you know, I, I always encourage leaders to ask themselves three questions when they begin struggling with that definition. And I boiled it down to three very simple questions I encourage them to ask themselves. And that's, you know, what's the personality of my community? And then 
Second, what's the behavioral code within my community? And then third, what's the sum of our actions? Because once you get a grip on what that looks like, then you're going to start getting a feel for the strength of your culture. And yeah, I having that as context, when people and leaders look at that balance between the people and the strength of the culture is important because a great culture allows their people to live up to that exciting potential that they selected them for. And too often, I, I know early on for me, I struggled with that balance. I mean, you're trying to survive. And once you become much more intentional about it, you can, you, 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 being, you begin to piece together that not only is it about the type of people that I'm selecting for my community, but it's how am I setting up the environment for them to, you know, excel and live up to that potential. And you know, I, I use the definition of boundaries. You know, boundaries help us, um, help us understand what's safe. And, you know, if your people aren't safe and they don't feel that they understand what their boundaries are, they're not going to be able to give you their best. So you have to find that right, that, that delicate balance between really appreciating and valuing your people and setting up the environment that allows them to, to win and live up to that, that potential they have. Yeah. So, so let's go a little bit deeper mm-hmm. on that second bullet, the what's the behavioral code what do you mean by that statement? What is a behavioral code in your, your understanding and estimation, Bobby? So I've studied a lot of companies and I've studied a lot of teams and every single one of them either play in the same space as someone else or on the same sport. And it's those teams that win more often that live by a code of conduct. And in other words, it's we, we all agree that uh, leaders – have two big decisions that they need to make for the community. I think they're the two biggest. That's my opinion. That is who they select and who they allow to remain on the team. And the, the people, the teammates that, that excel in any organization, any great organization, any great team, they're the, they're the ones that live by this both written and unwritten code of conduct that allows everybody to be the best and win. That's what separates great teams and great companies, how you behave. What's the, what's the code? What's the community code of conduct? What's the cultural code that you live by? So what's uh, – here? I can hear our listeners thinking right now saying, oh, yeah, we've got corporate values. What's the difference mm-hmm. between corporate values posted mm-hmm. on the website that are really God, mom, and apple pie, nice to hear, uh-huh. and the behavioral code? One, one word, Steve, action. <laughs> what a great answer. Yeah. Can you videotape it? So a great healthy code is one that you can look at, read, understand, and tie action to it. And a great healthy organization with a strong culture, they have a cultural code that their people can clearly tie action to. That's what allows them to live out that value system. So having the values is one thing. Knowing how to tie action to it—that's the main thing. Yeah, that's huge. So, how about uh, how about uh, what's the sum of our actions? What does that mean, and how does it, let's say, uh, manifest or come out in your team at the Populist Group? And when do you know? And how do you know when it's working and when it's not? <laughs> uh, so there's a, a there's there's a saying, and I forget who it was that said it. So forgive me, but. Yeah, we become the average of the four or five people that we hang out with and choose to learn from. And I'll often ask leaders to take a step back and assess their team average. And looking at it from that perspective, you know, I had to learn that the hard way, Steve, because as we grew, I realized that I wasn't going to be able to make the selection for every person that we said was right to join our community. And so over time, I had to teach my leaders how to get better at selection. And then you have teams that develop within your organization, and they all help one another. Looking at the team average that a leader is responsible for, I think is a big indicator to the strength of the collective culture. And here's, here's what I mean by that more, more tangibly. If you were to videotape and watch how every one of these teams collectively behave, 
what would you learn? And does it align with what you expect people to live up to as it pertains to your value system? So you, know, you have to look at the sum of everybody's actions and know that uh, you, you, you have to be able to guide people to virtually have zero gap between what you stand for and how it shows up every day. Yeah, so well said. So um, g- great leaders – Uh, Let's just talk about poor leaders first. Let's talk about poor (laughs) leaders are typically very um, closed, uh, clandestine, in many cases power-oriented, all about telling people what to do instead of equipping and empowering them to do it. And they're able to get performance because of their authority and their power and – you know, their their stripes to speak of it from a military perspective. You know, the the guy who has the most stripes or the gal who has the most power, you know, especially in a executive position, gets the job done. But all of the studies and all the surveys I've identified that while that style of leadership used to work great. In fact, uh, one of our our, our marketing uh, experts, uh, Rob Savet, who is a serial C- CEO and just the most brilliant marketing guy I've ever met, said it this way. He said, I think if if Vince Lombardi lived in today – uh, and coach football today, he would coach mo- more like Pete Carroll, because uh, Vince's core belief is that you know winning winning was everything, and he wanted to win. And in today's society, the style of leadership that Vince had in the NFL back in the what fifties and sixties and seventies, whenever it was, uh, is sure. not at all what works today. So yet, uh, let's say what what works today and what. You know, all the experts and just tons of demonstrated scenarios and so many books have been written on it. You know, um, uh, the the Covey books, the Collins books, you name it, is that effective leadership is about, you know, the the earned respect of a leader that causes people to, you know, want to follow them. And that identification with that leader and respect for that leader, you know, is what causes folks to want to follow of their own free will, not just because they have to to keep their job. So – can you speak to that 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 uh, balance of willingness to acknowledge your own weaknesses as well, you know, as a tool to empower other team members who have strengths in the same area, and what you've discovered? Because I mean, you, you're you're the only guy I've ever every the only CEO I have ever talked to in nearly 38 years of interviewing CEOs that um, uh, when uh, it's time to schedule or structure something. Um, directs me to your administrative assistant by saying uh, what you do, what you tell me so frequently that you're what do you call it an or, you're an organization organizational nightmare you need to talk yeah. to Michelle so I'm well, you, bad. yeah yeah what so what, what's the balance there I mean you know can you overdose on sharing weaknesses we're gonna have to do that right after the break so keep that in your head you there Bobby it. meditate on that you one. got it we'll be right back you guys you're listening to Biz Culture Matters on Clay 1180 AM and com. Remember when your company was awesome? It was you against the world. Successful strategy, to-do list, done, supersonic growth. But over time, the sharp edge gets dull, and good is good enough. Why? Because companies forget that bigger is not always better. That politics crush people, innovation, and creativity. And before you can say, rotten corporate culture, social media posts are infecting your business. The answer? It's not just your corporate strategies, it's your corporate culture. Excellent companies know that bad culture eats great strategies for breakfast. These guys really get it. Whether you're a family biz or a Fortune 500, or a new biz and want to get it right, excellent cultures can bring you back to awesome because they get it. What they know for sure? You don't need another consultant. Excellent cultures gives you what you need to get what you want. Bottom line business results that last. How do they do it? With successful business leaders as coaches and proven scientific data. They read your company's culture from inside out. Think MRI. They give you fast, accurate bottom line tactics. They don't treat symptoms, they go for the cure. Based on science, they reveal the hearts and minds of your people using proven and concise data, not warm and fuzzy psychobabble. And here's the kicker. You get supervisors who coach and inspire, workers who love their work, and everyone, that's everyone, 
not just the boss, takes ownership and accountability. It just doesn't get much better than this. And if you're wondering if Excellent Cultures works, just ask a few of their grads. Don't let the culture monster eat your strategy for breakfast. Check it out for some free advice from one of their experts now, or start it yourself with their complimentary online business culture MRI. All right, folks, we're back. Here we go. Uh, another segment of Biz Culture Matters on Clay 1180 AM and com. Steve got into some great questions uh, for our guest, Bobby Herrera, right before we left. Steve, you want to just highlight that real yeah, quick? Yeah, so what we were talking about is the balance between you know power-based leadership. You know, I'm the boss. Here's your job description. It's my job to hold you accountable yeah. versus uh, empowerment strategy that acknowledges your own weaknesses as a tool to empower others while, you know, enhancing, you know, and acknowledging team members who have strengths in different areas. What's your philosophy around that, Bobby? What works for you there? And how do you, how do you get so good at, at raising your hand and saying, I'm an organization, I'm an organizational nightmare. Please talk to Michelle. She's not. Well, Real, I'm going to give you a real simple way to remember at least my view on it, Steve, and I call it no ROE, no return on ego. And that's great. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, early on in, uh, in my journey building my company, I met a gentleman that he's had a real profound impact on my life. And before I, I started a mentoring relationship with him, he'd agreed to mentor me. And about a month before my first meeting with him, he asked me to take a step back and write down on one page every problem that I was trying to solve for my community. And so I did that. And I knew that there were several lessons coming for me. And it was, it, was, it was relatively easy to do, but I had to get real intentional about it. And there were two lessons in doing that. One, he wanted me to be able to have exceptional clarity on where I need to be focusing from a time and energy perspective. And then two, he taught me that if I didn't get all these problems down to one page, I didn't understand them well enough. But then the lesson evolved from there because he started showing me that not only is it important to have clarity around those problems that you're trying to solve for your community, yet you have to take that further because as you look at the strength of your team and your own individual strengths and weaknesses, I started to have to ask myself, hey, which ones can I best solve and who on my team is best equipped to solve problem X and problem Y. And that then led to me giving them opportunities that made their eyes shine and they got real excited about contributing. And a funny thing started happening, the more we started sharing and the more we started complimenting one another, the more engaged they became, the more thought leadership they brought and they consistently and pleasantly surprised me with, innovative ideas around some of these big problems that we were trying to solve. And it was a real humbling experience for me because too often I fell into the trap that many young leaders do. And I was trying to do too much. And many of the things that I, that I was trying to do, I wasn't the best person to, to solve that problem. And uh, I share that because I think at the core of your question lies that good intent that a lot of leaders get caught in and trying to do too much. And too often, they're probably not the best person to solve that problem. Yeah. And if their ego gets in the way by thinking that they are, or that they can control it or pull it off, that's where things get stuck. Amazing answer. So uh, that's right. in the course of, of our recent experience, you know, you opened, you know, opened your soul up and opened your people up and your company. And we gathered some data on your culture and we saw some windows of opportunity to really improve it. And, you know, obviously when you see windows of opportunity and you're building a winning culture and you want to continuously improve, uh, you know, taking action is an important thing. And as you mentioned, you have a bias towards towards taking action. But I heard something in that process of uh, about, you know, the appropriate timing for taking action that really sunk in with me because um, – when, when I listened to you speak about the things that you already had in the pipeline that you were, you know, planning to deliver, a pre-plan training session and, um, you know, how, how sustainability and accountability were everything and that 
uh, training isn't worth doing unless it's uh, development oriented and you have a sustainment and accountability process built in with it. Uh, that is so opposite from what I've seen in in the actions of many leaders. Most leaders, are, certainly CEOs, are like, "Hey, we've got two million bucks over there in, in the budget for this development stuff. Just you know, just go do something, or let's find something that looks good and just go do it." And we throw you know millions and billions of dollars at training and development or skill training or whatever it is, with no sustainability plan, no accountability plan, no mindset of. Uh, why are we doing this and how are we going to make sure that it turns into action? You know, your bias for action. Uh, wh- wh- how did you develop that? Where did you come up with that? And it's so novel in today's fire-ready aim society of just give me a Band-Aid and I'll expect it to not just stop the bleeding but do open-heart surgery and include rehab uh, when it doesn't. How'd you get that way, Bobby? Well, like many other leaders, I learned the hard way. <laughs> you had the battle scars. Sure. You know, and but the real the real example of lessons learned is when your actions change, right? So, you know, I call that uh, training equal one percent and development equal to ninety nine percent. And you know, I can remember a, a time when, you know, in my previous life, before I started my company, I went to this uh, I went to this executive education course in Chicago, and uh, it was it was at the University of Chicago. It was a sales, strategic management, one of those you know, fancy, sexy courses that you go to. And uh, it was a week-long course, and I learned a great deal about sales and human buy-in behavior and so forth. And then I came back, and I remember vividly that nobody asked me what I'd learned. Nobody asked me how I was going to apply it. Nobody followed up with my application. And that lesson stuck with me because when it came to me doing the same thing for my company – I never wanted someone to invest their time and energy and enthusiasm into learning something and not feeling that back in support. And that's where the real value happens with what you apply after you make that initial investment. So I'll ask leaders to do a couple of things. One, make that list and have clarity on where you're investing your time and and money from a training perspective. And then on top of that list, write 1% and then make another column that says 99%. And that's where the real change occurs. And you can make a profound impact on the strength of your culture by asking yourself some very intentional questions. How are we applying what we learned? How are we following up and measuring what we learned? What kind of impact is it having? And you do that with a level of intentionality and your people are going to respond and make your culture so strong. Um, but I had to learn it by being on the receiving end of it when I was just trying to make my company better back when I first started. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Hard way to learn things is through the school of hard knocks and battle scars and scabs. Much easier to learn by listening to someone who's already been there, like uh, Bobby Herrera is sharing with us today. Guys, don't go down that track unless you just want to waste a whole lot of money and uh, see a lot of people underperform and go underdeveloped. You know, I, Bobby, I think you've said it, you know, very, very well. And then, and then, and then, we, you know, let me ask you this question. This is kind of one of these out of left field that I just thought of when I put two of your earlier answers together. You know, the, you know, why is it that leaders don't embrace the philosophy of training, of development, and long-term development, and consistency, and watching actions? Why is it that uh, that uh, you know, in your opinion, that leaders just want a band-aid and then have a tendency to force themselves to believe that the band-aid is not going to just stop the bleeding; it's going to do open-heart surgery, you know, get the patient well and include rehab? Uh, is it because of of their ego? You know, is it the no return on ego deal? What, what what do you think holds us back from really focusing on what's what's going to win for the long haul as well as the short haul, both, not one or the other? Great question, Steve. I um, my my view on it's pretty simple and maybe oversimplified. First and foremost, we'll agree change is hard, and I believe that we magnify how difficult it is by not building um, very intentional blocks in our development to slow down. And too often, you know, we talked about earlier, 
we just try to do too much. And when you don't have an organization that has strong, you know, leadership, that's going to make it even harder to, to slow down. People naturally want to please other people and get things done. So when you're implementing change post development of, you know, post training, that development piece, I believe it falls off track more often than not because we don't slow down to really simplify what great looks like from the beginning and measure um, from the very from the very beginning. Hey, how will we know that we're making progress in the right direction? Like, what are those mile markers? And setting up those short-term wins for for your people. It's important that leaders stop and do that and. You know, ask himself, what's that one thing that we fundamentally want to get out of this? And align to that one thing and, and rock and roll. We try to do too much, Steve. That's, that's just my opinion that we, we struggle so much with slowing down. And you, know, you think about it, everything, everything that we see around us, we put a premium on speed. And you, you can't do that if you really want to impact development and change. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's like... Um, you know, one of the things that we've learned in our 30 years of working with Toyota is their, you know, their mindset is this slow, 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 and then all of a sudden it's it's hyperspeed. But the foundational elements that are built into what you've described as these, you know, these development uh, mindsets and milestones and everything to make sure that that whatever training you do does cause behavior change and sustainable, consistent behavior change. Uh, it's huge. Great advice for any leader who's building a business or who, ha- who has a business that they want to see perform excellent, whether it's big, small, privately held, public, you name it. It's people. Steve, you ever been to a like an indie car race or yep. you watch one? I've TV? seen them. It's, it's a great event, right? Well, look at study those study those drivers. And here's a metaphor that an analogy that I use around development in the grander scale you know pay attention to how these cars they still when they approach the curve like they let their foot off the gas pedal very very few times do they break and they'll take their foot off the gas pedal and they'll hit that curve at a more responsible speed that's all development is you have to be able to slow down and make sure that you're safely rounding the curve while you go through this change and then once you get past that clumsiness of implementing it, press on the gas pedal. Then you again. can slam it and go faster. You, you got it. So, and the organizations that are best at applying that training's one percent, and development is ninety nine percent. They understand that slowing down has nothing to do with pace. You're still moving at a very rapid, at a very rapid uh, pace. You just have to know how to hit those corners as you build uh, capability and strength around what you're. Yeah, what you're trying to get better at. That's great. So 1% training, 99% development. That's right. Beautifully done. All right, we got to go into our last and final break and the last segment. You're listening to Biz Culture Matters on Clay 1180 AM and com. We'll be right back with Bobby Herrera of the Populist Group. days of just building a good mousetrap are over. Today you need a team of people that are not just talented and engaged, they are fast, mobile, quick to change, hate losing, and love to win. That's what a culture of corporate innovation is all about and why you need one today more than ever before. Original Shark Tank star, inventor of the infomercial, and one of the most successful entrepreneurs of all time, Kevin Harrington says it this way, you only stay in front by coming up with ideas that your competitors haven't thought of yet. To do this, you need a team of people who eat, drink, sleep, and live out a culture of corporate innovation. Excellent Culture's corporate innovation partner and former Shark Tank star Kevin Harrington has the know-how and strategies to make this a reality in your company. Tune in to Biz Culture Matters on Clay 1180 AM next Wednesday at 3 p.m. and listen to Kevin, one of the world's most successful entrepreneurs, teach you how to build your own culture of culture of corporate innovation. During his career, Kevin launched over 500 products that resulted in sales of over $4 billion worldwide and 20 products that reached sales of over $100 million. 
In 2009, Kevin was selected as one of the original Shark Tank Sharks on the hit ABC show. As an innovator and pioneer in the industry, Kevin has been featured in over 150 Shark Tank segments on ABC and CNBC. In 1990, he was named one of the 100 best entrepreneurs in the world by Entrepreneur Magazine. That's right, original Shark Tank star, inventor of the infomercial, and one of the most successful entrepreneurs of all time. Kevin Harrington is our guest on next week's Biz Culture Matters show. Tune in to Clay 1180 at 3 p.m. and learn from the world's best on how to run circles around your competitors with the culture of corporate innovation. All right, we're back. Biz Culture Matters on Clay 1180 AM and com. With us again, Mr. Bobby Herrera from Populous Group. Steve, this is our last segment. Like, how how much are you going to pull from him? This is your challenge. How much are you going to pull from Bobby? <laughs> well, I'm going to get everything you, we can. Are you going to get the coach's hat on? Our, we're going to get the coach's hat on. Everything that our you know everything that we can pull is what our listeners deserve. So, Bobby, this is a this is a big one, and that I've really seen you do well mm-hmm. at. And you know, every leader has blind spots and sees their culture as different than it actually is. You know, in fact. Uh, the truth is that, and we've got lots of experience and data to support this, is it's it's the leaders who believe that we have a really great culture around here are typically the ones that think they do, but they don't. And what happens with human beings, as we all know, is is once we become su- so successful, it's so easy to stop doing the things that made us successful. And whatever it is we define that made our business great by serving customers, it's so easy to stop doing that once we, you know, get to a level or once we see it. And, you know, of course, great leaders acknowledge this and use measurement and assessment tools to, you know, help see what it is that they don't see. But that, that you know, no ROE, no return on ego factor seems to be, you know, a big piece of the puzzle that, that either uh, gets whatever we're using to help see our blind, blind spots so surface level that it really doesn't go to those core things that you defined as what causes the action that we want. How do you protect yourself against your own blind spots, and how do you encourage your leaders to protect themselves against their blind spots? Good question. <clears throat> yeah, Steve, I I tend to oversimplify things in my mind, which that's exactly uh, what we need. What we need earlier. So, you know, let me uh, let me tell a short story that I think may may resonate as a starting point. So, I had a uh, another gentleman I've been real fortunate to get to know. I was having dinner with him this last August, and we were a great place downtown Seattle, and we had had a lot of dialogue around um, around culture and leadership and so forth. And he asked me a question that. I hadn't been asked, uh, and I didn't have a great answer for me. He, for him, he, he asked me, you know, Bobby, tell me in your, in your own words, what do you want your brand to represent? And it led to me sharing with him how I wanted my company to feel and the strength of the culture and all those emotional elements of, of our culture code and what we were making progress towards. But I didn't have a succinct answer for him, and that bothered me. And ultimately, Steve, where that evolved to was him helping me understand that I'm going to continually need help in building that organization that either we aspire to become and or that we've yet to, you know, there's a lot of things that I as a leader don't know I don't know. And you know, so I've since gained exceptional clarity on that the succinctness to that to that answer that I didn't have a question for then because I dove right into it and really getting real intentional about it. But I had to go out and seek help from uh, from other people that had been there, done that per se. And too often I see leaders they don't back into it. So they first and foremost we get so caught up in winning that daily battle that we don't slow down and look forward and ask ourselves some of those questions like that gentleman asked me that night. And once you do start getting clarity around that, 
I think you got to take a step back and say, well, hey, who's the best at this? Mm-hmm. And how do I approach them? What can I learn from them? I, I call it good theft versus bad theft. There's, you know, I've stolen so much from some of the best, Steve, that uh, they call them, you know, my, my team actually calls me Robin Hood because I'll bring it back. <laughs> <laughs> you know, take a little bit from this person, take a little bit from that person. Rob from the rich and, and give to the poor. Yeah. And so what, what's, what's the point? And, you know, it's out there, right? Some of the best in whether it be, you know, your, if you want your brand to be synonymous with service, well, what can you learn from, you know, the Nordstrom's of the world and those that help great organizations like that or the Disney's of the world or what Southwest does? You know, uh, I've learned that you got to back into it in order to then – uh, know what you're making progress towards. And then from there, ask yourself some fim- simple fundamental questions. Who can help me build what I have yet been able to build myself? Does that resonate? Oh, yeah, very much so. Very much so. But, and again, just again, the the uh, attitude of humility that acknowledges the whole perspective of I don't know it all. I don't care how successful we are. There's so much more to learn. And then in t- being intentional about you know, uh, putting yourself into a place of becoming Robin Hood, becoming learning. So uh, another question around that, when you hear things that are painful, I mean, obviously, you know, when you ask those kind of open-ended, targeted questions, you know, you're going to get some feedback that may sting, may be critical, may hurt. Sure. You know, how do you how do you turn that into positive action instead of defensive, oh, I don't want to hear this anymore, let me go hide from this? So in other words, when you get that feedback that tastes like vinegar the first time, yeah, you get vin- vinegar <laughs> or cow manure, you know, one or the other. What do you do? Yeah. Well, that law of the picture, you know, it. Uh, I think it goes back to that team average question that you asked earlier, and you know, surrounding yourself with those people that, in in my experience, if you're hearing something like that for the first time, then I think you got to take a step back and assess the average of your team and whether or not they're telling you what you need to hear versus what you want to hear. So I, I think there's a deeper opportunity embedded in that. However, when you are in that scenario, Steve, I think, again, it's going back to that mindset of, okay, where am I now? And where do I want to be? And then figuring out just what that journey is going to look like with the right people, but it's hard because we all respond to, you know, we all see ourselves differently than, um, than others see us. And it's, 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 it, I understand how hard it is. You just, you just have to take a step back and understand that, uh, you're getting that feedback because your people want to make you better. And just suck it up, suck it up. So, um, kind of a question along those lines, as we kind of draw down to our real focus here, um, most great professionals, whether it's leaders or athletes or you name it, a great professional is typically uh, an unconscious competent. They have done the right things so many times, so long that they become second nature or subconscious. You know, the the great golfer is not aware of whether they inhale or exhale on their backswing. You know, the great swimmer uh, is not aware of, uh, you know, what precise angle they dive into the water. I mean, and there are so many of these subtle nuances that have just been repeated so many times that their muscle memory or brain muscle in memory and are just unconscious, which, and, and what I recognize in you, most, most leaders, you know, in fact, anybody who's an unconscious competent, when you don't know what you're doing right and you're in a developmental mindset and you need to train and develop people uh, and you don't know what it is you're doing right because you've done it so much, it's become second nature to you. It's so easy to just say, well, don't you get it? Don't you get it? And they nod their head and say, yeah, because they want to please the boss, but they don't. Um, what I've seen in you is, you, you know, you're not afraid to to retain, as you said earlier, you know, find who the, who the expert is, who really knows it, and then, you know, get them to help you see what it is you don't see or what it is you may have known, you know, you built into yourself years ago, but now it's become second nature. Where did you get, where, how did you start doing that? Where did you, again, learn that or put that principle in place? Another hard lesson, right? Um Steve, too often when we're making a decision as to whether or not we're going to bring someone in to help us, I think we look at the wrong, uh, we look through the wrong lens. We look at how much is it going to cost us? How much time is it going to take? Well, I don't, I, I initially in the, in the beginning, 
stages of growing my company, I think it's responsible that you look at that and you're asking yourself those questions. Yet over time, I learned to ask myself bitter, bigger, better uh, questions um, that I think were more important to what I wanted to make progress towards. And that's what happens if I don't do this? And if I don't have time to do it right the first time, when am I going to have time to do it over? And, you know, it may be, I, I learned to view it as an investment, whereas initially I was viewing it as a, as a cost. And you have to understand the true difference between those two. And, you know, I learned that the hard way, especially in my first 10 years, because I was more one dimensional and looking at it, what, looking at what it was going to cost me versus what my real return was going to be. Yeah. And also what the risk, like what, what's at risk if I don't. Yeah. Uh, yeah, right on. Development is an investment, not an expense. So, Bobby, as we're drawing close to the end of the show, I want to ask you to put your coach's hat on, and if you could just leave our listeners with one or two or three really good salient points, I mean, about how do we build a culture that wins, that you know takes whatever we're doing and turns it into the sum of those actions that yields the outcome that we're looking for, and that, this, that just isn't short-term. It's long-term. It's ongoing. It's sustainable. It's an investment with a return on the investment, not just an expense or of time or money. What would you recommend they do? Uh, well, I'd recommend they get their 10 best people in a room. Or, you know, get them all in one room or have a one-on-one conversation with your 10 best and ask them to write down on one page, what's the cultural code of, of our company? In other words, how do we expect our community to tie action to our values? And just have them write down one through 10 or one through seven, what that code looks like. And, you know, I would recommend they do it with, you know, 10 of their best and then pick 10 other you know, people in their, in their company and do that. And then lay those out side by side on a desk and see what you learn. And that right there will give you the answer to how clear you've been as a leader for what you expect the moment someone walks into your community and what you are allowing for them to remain a member of your community. I, I think that'd be a real therapeutic exercise for leaders that don't have a grip on their cultural code currently to see how well, you know, 10, 20 people can recite that to them. Yeah, that's awesome. I think that would be a phenomenal yeah, exercise. That's awesome. And then even get, you know, get someone who is not the boss to ask the same questions and see if they're the same as what they tell you being the boss. Um Phenomenal. Absolutely. Uh, Bobby, Absolutely. we're out of time. We're out of time. People you trust. Yeah, this this was awesome. Thank you so much for being on the show again. Every time we hear from you, uh, deep stuff turns into ROI that's not ROE, <laughs> return on investment Absolutely. that's not return on ego. Stay on the line, Bobby. We'll be right with you. Guys, you've been listening to Biz Culture Matters on Clay 1180 AM and com. You need to catch our episode recently with Mr. Harrington of the original Shark Tank. And then we've got some March events coming for you. Look at excellentcultures.com right now to get that information. Be back with you next week. Next week.